0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 188. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the concealedcarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. And today I must apologize but uh, this is coming to you a little bit later than I would have liked and also I am flying solo. The reason for this is just that uh, with the holidays and everything this week plus travel and uh, the week just got away from us and I apologize for that. Today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Surprise, surprise. I know we talk about it a lot, but if you haven't yet checked out The Nation, please do so now. Go to GuardianNation.com. It's okay. You can pause the podcast. Go to GuardianNation.com. Check it out. Find out what it takes to get signed up, but most importantly, all of the amazing benefits you will get because of being or joining The Nation at GuardianNation.com. And then come right back to the podcast also, I'd like to just make a little special announcement that in about two weeks from today, Jacob and I and the team here at ConcealedCarry.com, or at least many of us, will be down at the Sands Convention Center in Las Vegas attending the 2018 SHOT Show, which is the industry's trade show for anything shooting, hunting, and outdoors Mostly it's just about guns, though, right? And we love guns, so we'll be down there covering the show, bringing to you the newest, latest, greatest, coolest new products from uh, many... Really cool and innovative companies and many companies, of course, that have uh, been around a long time too. But we'll be providing coverage and bringing that to you here at the Concealed Carry Podcast. We'll probably have some special episodes that week. And also we plan to be doing some really cool and fun interviews with folks down there at the show. We'll be doing interviews live on the show floor well, I, I we'll be recording them live with people there on the show. You'll hear the background noise and the excitement of the show and all of that. Uh, but we will not probably be able to, to broadcast them live because I just don't think the uh, infrastructure will uh, permit that. But we will get it published and to you just as quickly as we can while we're at that show. Also, if you uh, have any questions or comments that you would like to issue or, or send our way, uh, send us an email at podcast at concealedcarry.com. Jacob and I personally receive and review those messages and many of those we read here on the show. I've got a couple in the queue in case you're wondering if you've emailed me in the last uh, week or so uh, in our Well, maybe not our next episode, but probably episode 190. Uh, Jacob and I will, will likely bring those to you and give you our answers. And so with that, let me introduce the rest of today's episode. And today is going to be a replay of episode 70 where Jacob and I talked about muscle memory mistakes. In this episode, we provide eight different examples of common mistakes we see people make where it comes to their training and some of those those things that they're doing that is kind of being embedded into their subconscious and becoming part of that that so-called muscle memory, which is really something we want to caution you about. We, I mean, it's good thing to have good things ingrained in our muscle memory, but when we are having training scars introduced into our muscle memory, that can become a problem. So with that, I I know this is a replay and that might cause you to wanna tune out, but you know what, this is really good, important content. So I hope that you'll hear me out and listen to the, if you've listened to this already before, I hope you listen again because I think there's really good stuff here for you to take away. And we'll try to get back to our normal broadcasting schedule and new content this next week as now we're past the holidays and uh, we'll, we'll get back into the groove, I promise. So with that, I'm going to tune in now to the pre-recorded uh, episode, episode number 70 that Jacob and I did about muscle memory mistakes. Enjoy. The whole concept of today's episode is what are some of the mistakes that we might be making as it relates to muscle memory? And maybe let's just spend a, a brief moment and talk about what muscle memory is, Jacob. uh, I know this is something, this is huge for you. I mean, you spend a good deal of time, I know, thinking and talking about this, as do I. Uh, What is muscle memory, and why do we talk about it so often?
1: So, you know, it comes down to habits uh, and routines and the way the brain is wired. A habit is basically, by definition, something that, is an automated or automatic response to a cue in an environment. So you have some sort of cue in your environment and that cue triggers in your brain that you need to make some sort of automatic response. And that automatic response is by definition automatic. It is whatever is most instinctive, natural and automated for you to do. So for example, when you trip, you automatically bring your hands forward to catch your fall. Like that's automated. The body just does that right? It, it's just the way you're wired. Um, it, a lot of us, we have a lot of new uh, automated muscle memory responses based on having cell phones now, like you you might have an automated response to pat your pocket before you walk out the door to make sure you're not forgetting your phone, um, things like that. So automated response, I'll give you another example, you know, Riley and I, we've grown up in winter environments. As a, as a driver, um, when you're young, when you're a new driver and you hit a patch of ice or, or slippery road, the automated muscle response is to hit the brakes which is, as it were, a negative. You know, it, it, It's good that we have automated response to throw our hands forward when we trip so that we don't smack our faces into the ground. But when you're driving and you hit a patch of ice and your automated response is to slam on the brakes of the car, that's actually a, a, an MMM. That's a muscle memory mistake. Your automated system, your, your automated response to the cue in the environment is actually bad. Uh, right. It's not good, and it takes a lot of work to train the body to not do that because it is instinctive; it is natural. But with work, you can teach yourself to not slam on the brakes, or car manufacturers just build brakes that essentially prevent people from from from, from causing problems <laughs> when they when they have an MMM. So, relative to guns, you know, muscle memory is this idea that I, I'm training my body to do something. Either it's already instinctively natural, and I'm I'm Just, you know, perfecting that. Or I have to teach my body to do something based on a cue in my environment that doesn't come natural. Um, The other place, and I know I'm maybe beating this harder than we need to beat it. But sports and athletics is the other perfect example of muscle memory. Like This is what we train athletes to do. In fact, if you, if you know anything about Tony Dungy, for you football fl- fans, this was his like, flag that he took in when he would t- t- have, take job interviews for head coach. He'd, he would talk about how his intention as a, as a coach was to train athletes based on muscle memory cues in their environment. And he'd say, hey, I want to I just drill habitual automated responses. I want my, my athletes to not have to think ever. Um, and that was the idea. So, and, and as you know, that turned out pretty well for him and it also turned out pretty well for me and Riley since we got Peyton Manning out of the deal later on. But anyway, so, so that's the idea is it's about automated response based on a cue in an environment called a habit, call it muscle memory or call it instinct or automated response. It's all the same thing.
0: Yeah. And we like to throw around the term muscle memory. Uh, and I wanted to just point out that you know, it, <laughs> there really is no such thing as far as muscles having memory. Uh, there, it, it's it's a it's a nervous system thing, right, Jacob? Uh, nervous system
1: and brain. Yeah, it's right. it's about that that subconscious part of the brain that no scientist understands really well, except that they know it's there and it it runs automated
0: responses. Right, right, exactly. So, I mean, the the point being, I mean, yeah, we can actually develop muscles and strengthen them in ways, in, in that, it makes it easier to, for them to continue to be used in that way, which also is a part of, I think, of of kind of muscle memory. I mean, like like you do the same thing over and over and over repeatedly, then the muscles that are being used doing that get a little bit stronger and a little bit more toned. And so then they're, they're also going to, uh, but they're just going to make it easier to receive that stimulus, that, that, uh, that uh, signal that comes down from the brain through the, through the nerves and then to that muscle. Like they're just going to become faster and better at, at responding to that signal. But the muscles themselves don't actually have memory. But when we do use the term muscle memory, we're talking about this automatic response, this habit, uh, this uh, uh, trained uh, response. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I think before we go any further, I want to throw out just one thing. And, and I think this ties into where we're going to go. Uh, and that one thing is, is that there are certain things. Areas, certain things that we do, particularly, particularly as it relates to self-defense and shooting, uh, that is important, in fact, necessary for us to develop this so-called muscle memory. There are probably other uh, other areas relating to that that I think we don't necessarily want to entirely rely on muscle memory, uh, meaning. That for just let me use an example. Um, you know, you have a stimulus, okay? Let's say the stimulus is, you know, guy approaches you uh and begins quickly drawing from his pocket and you catch the glint of a knife or uh, some other weapon uh and you're carrying and, and you've got you know you have an immediate stimulus that requires immediate action uh, potentially if you're going to uh come out of this situation alive in one piece and so you know the automatic response should be uh that y- your hand goes immediately to your your clothing your shirt rips it out of the way other hand go you know your your shooting hand goes to the gun and all without thinking you know you draw and that gun comes out and you're right on target and you're ready to deal with this threat that is certain you know so my point is drawing from like a holster is something that should be automatic uh in a, in that we don't have to think about the actual act of doing it of actually drawing from the holster so we've we've learned it and hopefully we've learned it correctly, right? So that we're drawing properly, so we don't flag ourselves or, or point the gun at somebody else necessarily, things of that nature. But we get to a point where we've practiced it enough times that it has become automatic. And that's that's a necessary uh muscle memory skill, in my opinion. But yeah, that the yeah, the I'm, Oh go you ahead. Well, I was just going to add to that when I when I, when I was saying that there may be some things where we don't necessarily want to be so much automatic would be things where we actually need to use uh, our brain to think think through a situation, you know, make decisions. But that, that's the thing. Um, there, are, there are times where we need to be able to make decisions and think through things, but realize anytime you have to actually think about something, it does take time. And so where it makes sense, we want muscle memory because the automatic response is always faster than you having to think through something, decide what to do, and then proceed to do it.
1: And not only is it faster, this is what I was going to add, and this is probably a subject for its entirely own podcast episode – but it's necessary because it's all you're going to be capable of doing. When the heart rate you know, goes to a certain level because of fear and adrenaline, you lose the ability to do anything that, that requires fine motor skills. You only can do things that require gross motor skills. It's that condition red that we talk about. And so when you're in that condition red, you need the muscle memory because otherwise you're really not capable of doing anything.
0: Yeah, you know, and I would I wouldn't necessarily say that you're it's impossible for you to to, to use fine motor skills, Sure, but sure. they become a lot more difficult. And certainly the more of a habit that you've developed it to, in doing something, uh, it's going to it's going to be easier for you to cope with the loss of of dexterity and fine motor skills. And and that that's actually I think I don't I think that's I think that's one of the best ways I've ever uh stated that in in that there's not a whole lot we can do. Like we can't actually prevent our bodies from uh, reacting the way they do and and losing fine motor skills, but we can develop things and ways and habits that help us cope with that loss of fine motor skills.
1: Yeah, let me let me give an example. Um, this this is an interesting one. So this was a, a this was a research study that was done with a group of uh, I can't remember if they were green berets or Navy SEALs or some special force. You know division, and they essentially created two different test groups, and they did a bunch of training on how to subdue someone physically, and and submit them to custody. And with one of the groups, they included in the training how to put on the flex cuffs and to you know put put on the restraint. And on the with the other group, they did not, uh, because they knew that this is you know putting on those restraints is a very fine motor skill, and so the the difference between the group who had trained that and the group who did not was. 800%. Eight hundred percent. So the group who had trained it was eight hundred percent more able to do that in the moment than the group who had not. Because when you've been wrestling with somebody on the ground and you're in a physical altercation, and then you're trying to do something very fine motor skillish like put on the cuffs, the group that had not trained it, like they they could like they they couldn't get it done. Like they they had a hard time putting on the restraint. Something that yeah that, you know the, the altercation is already over, but because this requires you know fine motor skill and my body's already all hyped up, it was just they couldn't do it.
0: Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, here's another thing. Uh, Before we we actually, so we're going to talk about and highlight some uh, mistakes, and that's kind of what I'm about to to say next. And that is, there's certainly times where we can intentionally, you know, uh, attempt to develop muscle memory. Or develop habits, uh, you know, much the same way that uh, Michael Jordan, you know, would spend, you know, part of his training each day shooting, you know, five hundred jump, jump shots or whatever, you know, like he he's very much intentionally every day working on that skill repeatedly, 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 you know, trying to make sure that 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 muscle memory, that habit, or whatever, is all, uh, and, and it becomes very automatic too, right? You know, there's times where you know when when the ball is passed to Michael. Uh, you know, without thinking when he, when he looks at the situation around him and goes, Oh, this is the time to shoot. Like once he makes that decision to actually shoot after that, it's all automatic, right? Because it's sp- such a, such a developed habit. Um, uh, but that's something that was very much deliberately learned and, and he spent time doing. So obviously we, we spent a lot of time talking about, uh, things to do, you know, drills, practice whatever uh we spent a lot of time you know hyping up on on dry practice using the cert pistol to to help facilitate that that is a very much intentional uh you know working towards muscle developing muscle memory i think what we're going to kind of get into next though jacob is things and 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 areas where we tend to develop bad habits or muscle memory mistakes which is where we've termed this MMM term. Uh, I think there's a lot of these, I think, are developed without us even realizing it. And that's an important thing to understand. See, basically the concept with developing a habit or muscle memory is just repeatedly doing something, the same thing over and over and over again whether you do it consciously or subconsciously eventually it's going to become it's going to become an automatic uh thing that you do an automatic response
1: right these are not things that you're just born hardwired to do them wrong like that that'd be a separate list of things these are things that you have inadvertently accidentally taught yourself to do that are bad
0: yeah Yeah, exactly, and so you know that's that's where we're headed right now is we've got we've we and this is certainly not all of them. This was just you know eight things that we came up with real quick and we felt like we had time to discuss. So eight inadvertent training blunders uh, that lead to making muscle memory mistakes. And along with that, just uh, before we before we actually jump into the first one here, um, we talk about you know, these being training blunders, that's exactly what they are. They start out that way, whether you realize it or not. And you've probably, I mean, I've been on record as saying, you know, you should train like you fight, right? You should always train and do things in the same way. And I'll probably repeat this today, but you should train like you need to fight. That The whole premise of that statement comes right back to avoiding making these MMMs. So let's get into the first one. Uh, This was, uh, (laughs) Jacob, you worded it like this, not controlling the expenditure of ammunition. Why don't you explain?
1: Yeah, so... In my observation at a gun range, when I watch defensive shooters practice and do repetitions, generally what happens is, you know, we load up all of our magazines, we put, you know, we, we load them all up, you know, we get all ready, we set all the mags out, or we put them in our mag pouches. And then we, we, you know, when we're ready to shoot, we, we draw the gun, and we start firing. And the a thing that you know very quickly differentiates some of the like really well trained self defense shooters from everyone else is that the majority of people are inclined to keep on pressing that trigger until the gun is empty. They will empty the magazine and then shove in the next one and then keep shooting and they 'll do that as many times as, as they have magazines or they'll just you know stop at some point when they want to reflect. But the best shooters are the ones who will fire a series uh, of shots, maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's three, maybe it's four, and then they'll pause. Even though they still have more ammunition in the gun, they will pause and they will essentially train themselves, they'll create the muscle memory to reevaluate the situation. And this is really important because the, the training blunder here, the MMM, is the tendency to empty the gun without need. In a self-defense situation, you don't want to be somewhere where you have nine shots in the gun and you fire three and the threat has been stopped and you would, you know, because of the MMM, the muscle memory mistake, you shoot six more. It's bad. It's bad ethically. It's bad legally. And it's bad tactically because you might need those extra six shots for a second th- threat or for something else. And and so there's just a variety of reasons why this, this is a big MMM for me.
0: I think this one's really interesting, and I'm actually glad we're starting right off the bat with this because uh, I there's a part of me that disagrees with you. So uh, <laughs> uh, how about a little healthy debate here and without going too crazy into it because just because of time and we've got seven more things to cover. But uh, I, I look at a deadly force encounter much like this. Am I going to have, you know, if I got an active threat in my face, particularly if they have a weapon, a gun, uh, am I going to, you know, when we got an active threat, am I going to fire, you know, however many shots, uh, three, four, five, six shots, uh, and then pause and go, is he is he down? Is he done? Uh I mean, ideally, I mean, that's what you are gonna do. You're gonna shoot until you see a threat. You know stop okay stop when when the threat ceases to be a threat then I'm going to stop but I'm also training myself to shoot accurate shots as rapidly as I possibly can and realizing that that happens in a very short time frame that uh, I could very easily see myself throwing 10 12 rounds at somebody uh, before even having the opportunity to evaluate whether they continue to be a threat to me so are you saying I'm being unethical in that?
1: No, not necessarily. I think that it's unethical to fire um, past the point when we already know the threat is no longer a threat. I think that you know this goes back to what episode was that, Riley? As a episode four, we talked about shooting to kill versus shooting to wound, shooting to stop, shooting to warn. Um, it comes down to this idea that you ethically have an obligation to stop shooting when the threat has been eliminated. Now. To each, we don't know, you know, on a case by case basis, how many shots that's going to take. Um, and in fact, we might not know if the threat actually has been eliminated. We might need to keep shooting in order to, to feel confident based on our own perception, beliefs or knowledge or even experience to, to, to feel like the threat has been stopped. So if you feel like you need to empty the gun to stop the threat, I'm saying that's fine. But, you know, I'm also suggesting that it's probably a good idea to, to build in cognition. Um, so take pauses, reevaluate, yeah. and determine if you need to keep shooting or not. And and if you teach yourself to do that, even though it may be a piece of paper, a target at a gun range, if you pause and reevaluate, you build the correct muscle memory, which is this idea of cognition. Force my brain to think is the threat still a threat? And if the answer is yes, keep shooting. If the answer is no, stop shooting.
0: So I'm going to, and so by the way, I agree with you in that, you know, and I do think that we're kind of approaching this from two different directions. Uh, We we both agree that we should stop shooting uh, when a threat is no longer a threat. Uh, To give an example of where this this comes into play quite often with some of like our justified stories we share in the Monday episodes of the podcast, Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of a video, and actually it's in our, I think it's in our, I think it's in our podcast promo video that we are, you know, we, we got a little promo video. We're trying to, you know, you know, get more listeners, of course, always. Uh, and in there is a guy that, you know, the, the, you see these thugs come into his house to rob him, right? And he he shoots at them and he ends up chasing them out the house and then continues shooting them as they're running away from the house. And then kind of goes across the lawn and continues shooting at the getaway car as they're driving away. Do you, do you know the the scene I'm talking about? Oh yeah yep yep right I'm with you. right I and so so I, yeah exactly which is great it's a <laughs> it's actually a great video but but the uh, I see this as being kind of a a, a correlation to that uh, I think there's some similar threads here because you know he's thinking you know crap I gotta keep firing I gotta keep firing I gotta keep firing you know and and you know I would think that when a threat begins to turn away and they start going the other way, well at that point that threat is done being a threat and we should stop shooting. Um and so I mean I I do see what you're getting at, Jacob, and I think a, one maybe almost a better way I think of describing what the right way to train would be to avoid making uh muscle memory mistakes would be to ram randomize randomize uh the shots that you take uh yes. too too often people and and I call this the double this to me this is an MMM and it's the classic double tap people I will see people specifically train double tap bop, bop. bop you know, bub up, and and it's like, why why are you doing that? You know, because guess what? That's going to be you, you do that over and over and over and over and over again. You're in a deadly force encounter. What are you going to do? You're going to go pop up, and you're going to wait, and you're like, oh gosh, yeah, they're still shooting at me, pop up. Oh, they're still shooting at me, pop up. You know, like no, like you come out of the holster and you're just bub up, bub up, bub up, up until you see the threat cease to be a threat. It is, is the ideal, in my opinion. And so I think introducing random variables into your practice, I think is, is helpful. By the way, the LASR software that we love so much in conjunction with a cert pistol can be set up to where you've got targets and you can designate targets, uh, to be required to be hit a certain number of times before they in theory go down. And, um, and, and, and you can actually set that variable so that, you know, it'll go down anywhere between one and, you know, five shots, let's just say. Okay. And so what you're doing is you're shooting at the one target and at, you know, maybe you shoot it three times and it, and it gives a signal that it's down and then you move on to the next target and maybe that one requires four and then it's down and then you go to the next one and bang, you shoot it once and it indicates that it's down. Uh, I really like that aspect of the LASR software.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because, um, I, I mean, I hadn't. Really thought about it in that detail, but I do I do use LASR that way, and it's really great that you could you always set a range. You can do the same thing with the reload setting on LASR. You set a range. I want I want to be I want to have a reload called every blank to blank number of shots fired. Um, so yeah, great great example way to way to say that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, let's move on to uh, MMM number two, and that is uh, picking a gun up off the table. And where does this come from, Jacob? Yep. see this all the time. So,
1: you know, think about this. When you're at a gun range, some gun range, it's because they have a rule maybe that you're not allowed to draw from a holster or have a certain kind of holster and you didn't come prepared with the right kind of holster that they actually would allow. And so what inevitably you do is you, you set everything down on that little table in your firing line, right? You have a little a little table or counter space and you put your guns there and your magazines there and your ammo there and everything's kind of Set up there, and when you're ready to fire, where's that gun going to come from? It's going to come from the tables. You're going to reach down, pick it up, present it on target, and and do your firing sequence. Well, that that's a problem because the MMM here is that your your muscle memory you're building is to pick a gun up off of a table in front of you. So in a life threatening situation, have have you built an MMM right? Have you built a muscle memory mistake that's going to have you reaching out in front of you into the air where there's nothing, like trying to grab your gun when in fact it's in the holster on your hip or on your ankle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good point. Um, and you're right because so often, particularly if it's an indoor range, which many people do frequent indoor ranges, uh, that is, uh, that's kind of the standard operating procedure, uh, because most of the time you're discouraged from drawing out of a holster. Uh, so the only way you can really do things is to load up your gun, set it on the table and then pick it up and shoot it. And when you're done, you put it back down and, you know, that's, um, uh, I would even almost go so far as to say that the more dangerous part of that aspect is is building in the muscle memory that when you're done shooting that you immediately put the gun down, uh, which is actually closely related to another one of our MMMs that we're going to get to here momentarily. Um, and you know, but that that yeah, this this is a real thing, okay. And, and be, before we get any further, I think we should address a very important. Uh, Idea here, Jacob, because I suspect that it's possible we have a listener that's like, well, how big of an issue is this really? And let me tell you, it is a big deal. We've got documented instances, and we'll talk about a couple of them here today, real life instances, and a lot of them are law enforcement. But a lot of law enforcement, you know, stories are are. I mean, they're they're the ones that happen to be the the best documented. And law enforcement encounters, you know, more of these types of situations than your average citizen does as well. So, I mean, and just because it's a law enforcement story doesn't mean it doesn't have application to a civilian world. So, anyway, uh, do these muscle memory mistakes actually translate to the real world? Do they actually? impact somebody that is in a deadly force encounter in a negative way? And the answer is yes, absolutely. Um, And I'm I'm trying to (laughs) refrain from, I'm trying to think, is there any stories that we can share right now, Jacob, I think that would help uh, really drive this point home without giving away some of the other MMMs?
1: Yeah, here's one that comes to mind. This is an M MMM that's an M MMM that's not on our list, but maybe it gives some correlation that will help. So, there was a, a law enforcement department, I think in California, but I, I'd have, you know, be careful on my source there. I don't, I, I'm not sure if it was California. And uh, this law enforcement agency, they were doing a certain some force on force encounter, you know related training drills and because they didn't want to use the real guns and because the agency was too cheap to spring for some training guns, they actually had the officers uh, pointing their fingers, like making a gun shape with their hand. Okay. So the good guy would make the, you know, or the bad guy would make the, the gun shape with the hand. And then the good guy would, you know, would, would, run the drill would do whatever it was that they were doing to respond and they were do- they did this for some time until they had some reports from the field that officers on the street were pointing their fingers at bgs at bad guys and bad gals uh, in responses now they it's actually kind of funny cuz the the way that it all kind of went down is that they actually didn't have any huge incidents because of this. No one died, but they quickly, quickly should, you know, changed the training regimen. They're like, Oh, whoa, like we can no longer do that. like We had officers pointing fingers at, at people like uh, instead of when they should be drawing their guns. And so think about that kind of muscle memory. It's like the, you're going for a holster, breaking retention, proper draw stroke, presenting on target, something that does get trained. But instead these guys, they just present their finger because one specific drill they had been running was building that, mmm
0: yeah that that seems like a crazy example right it's like really like th- would this really happen yeah it it really would and does and has happened and we've got some other examples and stories that will come up uh, later in the episode uh illustrating how poor training uh and or you know developing these MMs uh results in mistakes made in the field and that is exactly our point we want to try to avoid that and hopefully bring to attention to our listeners you know start paying attention to how you train and look for opportunities to discover things that you might be doing that you know while it makes sense to do it at the range or or in your home or something like as much as possible you want to eliminate that if it if it works against you in a real life deadly force encounter. So let's get to number three. And uh, this is a big one for me uh, because I see this mistake made all the time. And uh, it, it frankly, it, it bothers me. And so every time and we just ran into this uh, at the range day, Jacob, with our special uh, range day winner that uh, we did, uh, what, what, like a month ago now, maybe a little more yeah. than a month. And uh, there was a point where we were doing some exercises, and I was asking the the p- participants. Uh, it was our winner and uh, his fiance uh, that were there, and I said, "You know, draw draw your gun out of the holster." and they would just kind of come out of the holster very casually because the focus wasn't on the draw it was on uh, you know whatever the other skill was that we were working on at the time and i'd be like no when i want you, when you draw the holster i want you to draw the holster with meaning with purpose draw like you mean it is a is a phrase you'll hear me say often when we're working on a range with various drills because the danger here is is that when we do get focused on something else, so like we're going to work on a reload drill, we're going to work on, you know, name the drill, anything else. if it's not specifically related to the actual act of drawing the gun, then when we are prepping to get ready to do the drill, we tend to, you know, just come out of the, the holster, very casually. So I'll say, draw the you know, draw from the holster, and they'll just kind of you know come up and you know, just very laxadaisically. And this is real common. Two, okay, Uh, this is actually a really good example. Anytime that you have somebody that they got their gun and it's in a holster and it's unloaded, and then you say, okay, we're going to go ahead and proceed and do whatever, Uh, they know they got to load their gun. And and you might even tell them, okay, go ahead and load and make your gun ready. Well, anytime you start out with an unloaded gun in the holster and you go, yeah, I got to load it, you'll come out, I, I, I guarantee this about just about anybody unless they've been in one of my classes they will come out of the holster very slowly very casually come right in front of their face and grab their magazine insert it into the gun rack the gun and then they'll proceed to point into the target and you know do the drill what you will hear out of my mouth is draw like you mean it draw like it counts because every time you come out of that holster is an opportunity to reinforce the muscle memory and it is one that should be automatic. Drawing from that holster should be automatic every time. So every yeah, opportunity I'm- you have to draw, you should draw like you mean it. And that means come out with it full speed and fully extend to the target. And then, if necessary, come back to your chest, re- you know, do your load, and then proceed with whatever it is you're working on.
1: Yeah, and a point of clarification in case anyone's misunderstanding this, I, I think it's really important. Riley does not just mean speed. Like speed is not the factor here. It's a proper draw stroke. Um, it, it's it's about this idea of because I'm not drawing to fire right now, I'm just going to kind of you know draw it incorrectly or poorly. It's it's about like I mean, and not to say speed isn't a factor, but but when when you say draw, like you mean it, you're not just referring to move quickly, are you?
0: Well, I I do mean move quickly provided that you have uh, mastered the actual draw, okay? Once you got to the point where you know how to draw, you know how to do it correctly every time, then I expect that you actually draw full speed, you know, like you mean it every time, uh, if you're a newer shooter and it, particularly if you're working on the actual skill of drawing, uh, then I would expect that you do things at a reasonable pace. Um, but, uh, I, I actually would, will go on record that once you've mastered the draw stroke, then I expect, I mean, I, I, really, I expect this of our officers in our department, I expect, and they would get chastised if they don't do this. Every time the gun comes out of the holster, it comes out full speed and then straight out to the target. And then they can come back and prep their gun or do whatever it is they got to do. But I mean, I appreciate the clarification because it's certainly if you're not to that point yet, if you haven't mastered that, I don't want you going full speed, but I do want you to practice it correctly. Not to suggest that There aren't times where you shouldn't come back and revisit the skill of drawing from a holster. And in those cases, you know, even though you may have technically already mastered it, you're just refreshing and making sure that you have everything down to a T. Well, yeah, you're deliberately spending some time focusing on the steps, getting it, you know, right and perfect. Because we do need to do that from time to time so that, you know, because it is all about practice and repetition, but it only matters if you're doing it correctly as well every time. Yeah, th- yeah. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Watch out for that one because I see it all the time. Now let's get on to targets. This is on the list. Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what uh, we what we meant by this. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it was there's a lot idea. of things
1: here. Yeah, no. I, I think I think there's a lot of issues. Um, I, I I think it was originally was spawned by um, a, a, an incident that I'm familiar with, where they some research was done that essentially suggested that because law enforcement was training with silhouette targets, it lessened their ability to, to be able to cognitively identify if a target in the field on the street was or was not a threat. And so that's kind of what originally sparked this. But I think when we talk about an MMM, a muscle memory mistake, it's more than just what kind of target am I using?
0: Mm, that's right. I do remember that. And we had a little bit of conversation in our show prep on this as well. And I believe I shared with you the story, uh, going through post, uh, instructor school to become a patrol rifle instructor myself. Uh, we did, they did an exercise during low light shooting. Uh, so it was done at night and this, let me just set this up real fast and I'll try to make this as brief as, as possible, but we had basically a ton of targets. And at this Range we were at, which was, it's a phenomenal range targets are, you know, they're able to turn them. Okay. So they're sideways. So you don't shoot them. Then they can turn them. So they face you. There's targets that can move back and forth laterally. Uh, and, and they had this all set up so that we were in the dark with blue and red lights flashing because this was a law enforcement course. Um, so that we're able to see things, and the whole idea was that when you see what you believe is a threat, uh, then you know proceed to shoot. And of course, we'd use our tactical lights, uh, weapons mounted or otherwise. Uh, we would see what we thought was a threat, light it up, you know, fire our rounds, and then the, the, the target would turn back sideways, or it would continue moving past, or whatever. Right? That's the situation. And what was really eye-opening was that when we got done, they turned on all the 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 regular bright lights, so we could see everything clearly. And what nobody realized prior to that exercise beginning was that there were about half to two thirds of the targets were actually no shoot targets. They were actually, you know, targets that were printed images of people, but they had no weapon in their hand. They were not doing anything that was threatening. They were simply, you know, an image, a silhouette of a person. Then there were, there were targets that were a picture of somebody and he had a gun in the hand, a knife in the hand, making some sort of threatening movement or whatever, okay? But the point was is that nobody, I mean, like nobody saw that the, you know, because this had kind of been ingrained in our minds that, hey, we're going to shoot some targets. And as soon as things started flipping around, it was like, oh, bang, 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 bang. And you get done, you realize I wasn't actually looking at or paying attention to what those targets were, or what they were doing. And that was eye opening to me, and I think is a is a perfect correlation to what you just mentioned, Jacob. So it,
1: yeah, yeah, I think I think you nailed it. That, that's the point. Is it's like are we are we putting ourselves? Are we creating an MMA MMM right where we're not going to have cognition, right? that We're just going to start firing, at, you know, whatever it is because it's popping up in front of us,
0: right. That that really ties back to one of the first things I said, which was there are some things that absolutely make sense and is necessary to be automatic and you know completely ingrained in muscle memory, and that like drawing from a holster, uh, performing a reload. But uh, some areas too where we don't necessarily want that. We don't want to necessarily have an automatic response every time we see a silhouette to, to just go ahead and shoot it. We need to actually use some brain, <laughs> you know, power and and evaluate the situation better. On to number five, Uh, MMM, you know, mistake number five, uh, we have listed here as simply scanning. And Jacob, I I think you described this uh, as we were talking through this. Uh, You were talking about how, you know, a lot of times we might be at a shooting range and we're isolated into these shooting lanes and that the danger would be that we tend to get so focused on, you know, we are only addressing a target immediately in front of us. Uh, So everything we do is focused in that direction right and and so it, we might be kind of subconsciously training ourselves to only be concerned with what is immediately in front of us
1: right and 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 unfortunately tunnel vision is already a problem right like tunnel vision is already a physiological symptom of that of that kind of response so when you're in that kind of environment where you think your life is being threatened you're going to go into tunnel vision anyway so that, that's an expected thing. That's that's a documented, very well-researched, expected physical you know, reaction. But our, the MMM is that because we're in that gun range and because we're kind of isolated in this lane and we only have stationary targets right in front of us, we, we don't train the proper technique to break tunnel vision. So good law enforcement agencies yeah. and military departments – they teach their shooters that as soon as you get done shooting, as soon as you stop that threat, you need to break the tunnel vision. And, and breaking the tunnel vision means moving the head physically, like purposefully moving the head and moving the eyes and scanning your environment. Because there, the research would suggest that when you do that, when you force your head to, t- to pivot on its neck, and when you force the eyes to look at other things, you, you essentially take with, what, that, phys- that physiological reaction of tunnel vision and you reduce it immediately by that responsive movement and, and unfortunately the mmm is that in the gun range when we're shooting with indoor or outdoor i think there's a tendency to not uh, scan the environment and break tunnel vision because we're in an environment where we have one lane it's that target right in front of us and so of course we're focused on looking forward
0: yeah very good points and so 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 true uh you know we, we, we will do exercises uh, where, you know, maybe we have a shooter on a line and we'll have a, a, a buddy, a partner, you know, stand behind them. And so that the the idea is that we want them to, you know, work through a certain drill, you know, shoot a target or whatever, whatever it is. And then upon completing what, it, what you know, I guess t- basically, you know, neutralizing that threat, then they're expected to do scan and immediately you know this is how how I scan. You know, I'm focused on the threat, I shoot the threat, the threat's no longer a threat, then I'm going to kind of real quickly scan, you know, to the left and to the right, but only about a 45 degree angle, just kind of like what's sort of immediately in front of me, okay? Left, right about 45 degrees. Uh, actually sorry sorry, more, probably more like 90 degrees in reality now that I think about it. Okay, so a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right of that target what that threat was. And then upon, and that only takes a second, right? And yes, I'm turning my head. I'm turning, looking left, turning, looking right, and then expanding, you know, beyond that. Then I'm going to go, you know, very deliberately to to the left, all the way to my left, all the way, trying to look all the way behind me, and then all the way back around and to the right. So we're we're starting to cover that 360 degree circle of area. Because yes, the idea is that you just eliminated one threat, and there absolutely could be another threat. Uh, So. Do occasionally, you're practicing at the range, and even if you're limited and you're stuck in some, you know, individual shooting lane, shoot your target and occasionally stop, look to the sides, and begin scanning all the way around because it is a good thing, a good habit to get into. A related, by the way, and not on the list, but a related MMM is getting just in the habit of all you're doing is moving your head and looking around, but you're not really, really aware of what you're looking at. So the exercise I was beginning to describe is where you have a buddy or somebody behind you, and either they they write they hold up they hold up a, pa- a piece of paper with something written on it, you know, like I don't know, uh, peanut peanut butter. <laughs> You know, or maybe they hold up fingers, or maybe you have you tell them to describe. You know what they see, uh, what color shirt you're wearing, what color shoes, or something. You know, like so you have the person actually scan and look for something and, and try to identify. So that we keep the brain working when we're doing those types of exercises, I think is really good.
1: Yep, cognition, right? Yep.
0: We're trying to to force it. Yeah, totally. So uh, number six, this one uh, is. I see it as being related to this uh, scanning uh, MMM because it's it it results or is a tends to be a result of us uh, you know sometimes working in uh, range environments where we're not able to to do as much as we probably would like to do and that is remaining stationary. So Jacob, why don't you enlighten us as to what the uh, muscle memory mistake might be you know with remaining stationary?
1: Yep. So obviously, in a self-defense situation, remaining stationary is really bad tactics. Um, being being a, in fact, a couple of reasons for this. One is that you, when you're exposed, you're more vulnerable. So getting to cover and or even at very least concealment goes a long way to to your potential survival and positive outcome of the gunfight. But even something that you might not have thought about, we were, we just got done talking about tunnel vision, right? Well, guess who else has tunnel vision? Your threat. Your threat also has a very narrow field of focus, and so just by you taking two steps in either direction, it's almost like you going invisible. They can't see you anymore because they also have tunnel vision. So moving is really critical tactics to a positive outcome in any sort of gunfight, and unfortunately, the MMM here is that we don't move. By nature of the way most of us train and practice and run repetitions and drills at the range or wherever it is we do our training, we hold still. And it's really, really, really bad, MMM.
0: Yeah. Now, I mean, how do we train to not do this? I mean, it becomes very challenging when maybe the only range that is an option for you is one where you cannot shoot and move and and so forth. Well, I would say I would suggest this. Uh, I would suggest maybe maybe look into competitive shooting, particularly like something like three gun. Um, you know, even USPSA uh, different. Shooting matches and things that might actually give you the opportunity where you're able to go to a range. I mean, like my local indoor range that I go to almost on a weekly basis, uh, they don't allow shooting and moving just, you know, anytime, you know, uh, eight to five or whatever, you know, during their normal business operations, you don't just walk in and able to go shoot and move, right? But they do have shooting matches where they'll close down part of their range, you know, one of their uh, big uh, uh, shooting bays. And uh, they, do, they do matches, shooting matches, and you're able to shoot and you're able to do other things, you know, move around and stuff. So maybe this would be an opportunity, if you haven't done so already, look into maybe some comp- competition shooting. And that, that might give that opportunity where you're able to you know practice some of the shooting while moving. And then, of course, we can always do the dry fire practice. Uh, we can use CERT. Mm-hmm. We can use LASR. We can do this in our home. We can practice these things. And where I think remaining stationary becomes also uh, potentially deadly is – we and not just while we're shooting, but any time that we got to do something with a gun, uh, and this actually, Jacob, I, <laughs> I don't mean to pick on you, buddy, but we were doing a little drill in your home, and uh, we were doing a figure eight drill. We were going around these two objects in a in a figure eight and just trying to maintain sight picture and you know keep shooting this target. We were doing it with our our cert pistols, right? And uh, then we told you, you know, okay, do a reload. And what happened when you attempted to do that reload?
1: Oh, it was a disaster. I mean, it it was almost like I went to being like eight years old.
0: (laughs) I just fell apart. Well, and the big thing was you actually stopped moving, you know, while you were doing that reload, right?
1: I, I couldn't cognitively like perform the reload while I
0: was still moving. Like the brain wouldn't let me do it. It was like a freeze. Yeah. And, and this is actually, I mean, I see very, very experienced shooters make the same mistake. And, and just by the way, by me just mentioning it to you, like, hey, Jacob, by the way, did you notice that you stopped moving when you were performing that reload? And you're like, oh, crap. And then after that, it wasn't an issue for you because you were aware of it. And so this that's what I'm talking about here, you know, how easy it is to develop these muscle memory mistakes. And, uh, and then it ha- sometimes it really doesn't take a whole lot to, to kind of shake you out of that.
1: Yeah, I, I, you nailed it. That's that's so that's so critical. I, I, one other thing I learned from Brandon Scott, one of our network instructors in Utah, is he teaches his his students that even if you're not allowed to move, if you're in a place where you're required to remain stationary when you're practicing, just by picking up your feet off the ground, you know, bending the knees and moving the, the legs a little, like they're not going to throw you out of the range if you don't actually change locations. But just you know, picking up the feet and, and doing a little, you know tap and dance a little bit, so to speak, that that helps at least create some sort of, you know, better muscle memory than holding steel because you're telling the body that you yeah. do need to pick up the feet. So that was an interesting tip that I thought I liked.
0: Yep, yep. I do remember him mentioning that in one of our episodes of the podcast way back when.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. yeah,
0: like 18 or 10. I don't remember. It was it was quite a while ago. So yeah, good stuff there. All right, so on to MMM number seven, reholstering problems. And I think where we were going with this was uh, is the tendency at times you know, that, that a person will perform a drill or they'll shoot at their target and then immediately just go right back to the holster. And how dangerous that can be because, I mean, that can very much be ingrained into you so that, you know, you've got a threat and you do a really good job coming out of that holster automatically and bam, 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 bam. And you shoot that, you know, and maybe you're one of those people that go comes out of the holster, double tap and right back to the holster. Oh, man, you are so asking for trouble if uh, if you do just that in a, de- in a live, you know, deadly force encounter where you come right out of the holster, double tap and you go right back. The thing that we yeah, have preached on before, sure. yeah, and the thing we've preached on before is why would you ever need to be in a hurry to get back to a holster? There, 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 there's very few cases where you need to get back to a holster quickly. I, I, I can think of one exception, and that's if you're a law enforcement officer and you just had your gun out, and all of a sudden, and you got a cover officer there, okay. And all of a sudden, you got to jump on a guy and throw cuffs on him. Like that's like one, one, you know, possible situation where you would want to get back to a holster quickly because you got a second to jump on this guy and get cuffs on him.
1: That's or transition to a different weapon.
0: Okay, I mean, yeah, right, right, yeah. You just same,
1: same concept.
0: But but once again, you know, uh, there all other situations pretty much, you don't have a need or reason to get back to a holster quickly. Right, and, and how often do we hear this, Jacob? You know, like we we hear we, we sell a lot of the brave response holster, and people are like, "Well, it's soft sided, it you know it collapses, you know that looks really difficult to reholster." It's like, why are you so concerned with getting back to the holster? Like, who cares if it takes you five minutes to get the gun reholstered? You know, well, what if the cops are showing up? Well, th- th- no, don't don't worry about that so much. What what's a greater concern to me is the people that will come out quickly on target, fire right back to the holster, you know, super fast. Besides the fact that one of the most dangerous times you'll handle your gun is while reholstering and doing it really quickly. I mean, why, why there's no need.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And we've, you know, that. I think we, I can't remember what episode it was, but we actually had an episode where we talked quite a bit about, you know, how big of a problem is it really if the cops show up and your gun is still out and the short of it is, it's probably not a big problem as long as you don't point it at them. But the main takeaway here is to Riley's point, there's no need whatsoever for you to move quickly back to the holster. And because in a training environment where you're practicing, you're running repetitions and doing drills, you have no need to keep the gun out. You're done with the drill. You want to reset. It's almost like as soon as I get this gun back in the holster, I can reset and run the drill again. And so you might be inclined to do it very quickly. Bam, 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 reholster. Okay go again well then then think about that that mmm you've created a very bad muscle memory mistake because in a self-defense situation you come out boom 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 and then you're gonna go right back to holster
0: yep yeah yeah i mean you just you just got done with neutralizing a threat and that threat could actually still even if you think that they might not be a threat anymore uh they they could still be i mean they're on the ground they're playing dead um, uh, or whatever, or or they got a buddy that's you know lurking in the shadows somewhere, and you don't initially see him. You know, you went back to the holster, and all of a sudden their buddy pops out of the shadows. You know, like you see what I mean? It's like, like we just got done neutralizing a threat. Keep that gun out. Keep it trained on that threat. I mean, they were just trying to kill you. Keep that gun on the threat. You know, you're done shooting, but you can keep that gun trained on the threat until. Until when? Well, until you are absolutely certain that, that the situation is done and over with. And usually, I, I, I'm going to keep waiting there until a cop shows up. I'll be honest. Um, do you think a, a cop that just got involved in a shooting, you know, regardless of the suspects, totally dead on the ground, uh, do you think he puts his gun away? No, he stands there. You know, he gets to a safe position. You know, He uses cover or whatever, and he's going to sit there with his gun out waiting for help to arrive. And only when somebody else, you know, cover, backup, shows up, um, it, are they going to, you know, maybe put their gun away or, or something. I mean, that's the, kind of the standard operating procedure. And I think that should be true, too, even with, with civilian shooters as well. So anyway, we've kind of uh, beat on that one pretty good, I think. So the final number eight, and like I said, we, we could probably talk about other things that people are making mistakes with that translate into badly learned muscle memory and, uh, but this is just our, our, our initial list of eight and we're getting close to an hour here. So, you know, we like to keep, try to keep it around an hour. This final one though, I think is really interesting, especially cause we have a couple of great stories to share about it. And, and we labeled this as picking up brass slash putting in pockets. So Jacob, why don't you share the story, um, of, of picking up brass
1: yeah, this is an interesting one. So imagine that law enforcement agencies are often very tight on budget. And brass is the kind of thing that an agency might be inclined to make sure they keep, you know, they can melt it down, they can sell it at weight, or they can sell it to to reloading or even manufacturers, um, if they have enough volume. So if you're a law enforcement agency, and you might be running your officer through drills, and you know, you you make sure you always tell them, hey, officer, we want you guys picking up the brass and you're going to deposit in this bucket on your way out, kind of thing. So you, you might really drive that. And so this is something that a lot of agencies were doing for decades. Is they were teaching their officers to pick up their brass because it was just an expense issue as a department. Well, the, the, the challenge that, that comes with that is that. Imagine, you know, as time goes by, there start being some incidents, and this is documented, this is not Jacob, you know, making up crazy crap, but there's documented incidents of fire coming up on a scene where an officer has been shot, and even a dead officer, and they have brass in the hand. And so they were in the gunfight and picking up their brass. Because the muscle memory was fire, 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 fire. Pick up my brass, fire some more, and so you know that 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 MMM was so strong to go and pick up that brass as soon as they'd done uh, firing the weapon.
0: Yeah, another famous. Uh, I think you're talking about uh, uh, you know one incident. Here's another incident that is is very famous, very well documented, and it was of a. Uh, an officer way back in the '60s or '70s, you know, he's still he's carrying and using a revolver, uh, fifty seven Magnum revolver, you know, as his sidearm, and uh, you know, the 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 standard practice was, you know, to keep from having to actually bend over and pick the brass up. His standard, you know, practice was he would fire his revolver, you know, open it up, dump the empty shell casings in his hand, stick them in his pocket, grab his you know reloads, reload the gun, and go back to firing. And so, you know, this officer actually ended up getting shot and killed, and investigators found that he had all this empty brass in his pockets, which indicated to them, I mean, this this routine that he'd followed for years and years and years, which was the same routine. I mean, it's not just this one guy, right? Like, this was very true amongst a lot of revolver shooters, and still is. I mean, like, I, I promise you, a revolver shooter listening to us right now, this is what they do. Uh, you know, they, they, they open up the cylinder, they dump the empty brass in their hand, and because they don't have to throw it on the ground, and then later go back and pick it up. It's very easy. It's right there in the hand. I can stick it in my pocket or I can st- you know, set it aside. Just understand that you know I started out this episode talking about we should train like we fight. In a real fight, are you going to take the time to catch that brass in your hand as you're trying to perform a reload on your revolver? No. You're just going to dump and be done with that get that brass in the ground. You don't care about it, okay? You need to get back into the fight as quickly as possible. And so that's a great example of where, you know, training with these these various habits ends up translating into the real world and sometimes with deadly consequences. So be very mindful of that. And I've got one other example I wanted to share that that I th- is one I meant to share actually at some point in this episode. And I, th- I just think it's a really great, great, great example. Um, I'm a big believer in you know, I teach people, if you're racking your slide on your semi-automatic, I want to see you use, you know, your whole hand, uh, reach, o- reach reach over the top of the back of the slide with your whole hand, pull it back, you know, retract the slide that way. This is true, especially, uh, so I think, even when you're, you know, you got a slide back, okay, so you just fired your gun dry, the slide is locked back, and you're going to perform a combat reload. Uh, I expect that that next magazine goes in the gun, And that you reach over and the same way you grasp the slide with the whole hand, you pull it back slightly, you release, right? Rather than, because the alternative is, and this is one I see all the time, using the slide lock, that little button with your thumb and hitting that to get the slide to close forward, you know, chambering around. And the reason for that is because there's a video of a law enforcement officer who in a shooting shot his gun dry reloaded you know he had slide he had his slide locked back he reloads and then he fumbles for a second or two while he's trying to get that that slide lock released with his thumb right and that cost him precious seconds as opposed to you know how much simpler is it just to grab the slide pull back slightly release you know like that's how the gun is designed it's going to work um You know, because and the the example I use along with that all the time is that that's more of a gross motor skill where you're grasping the slide with the whole hand pulling back and releasing it as opposed to this fine motor skill of using your thumb and hitting this little tiny button (laughs) that, you know, releases the slide and going forward. So that's why I preach that all the time is because of this very thing right here, because if you use that little slide lock to release your slide each time you're loading your gun, that becomes the muscle memory and you will potentially fumble that when you're trying to do this under stress in 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 real life.
1: Yeah, great great example.
0: So, that actually almost becomes like a number 9 to our our list of MMMs, you know, don't use that little button <laughs> uh for uh for releasing your slide. But anyway, but you know, it goes back to you know, we we mentioned these stories. Uh and some of the things we talk about, I'm sure people are like, "Oh, that's not that big a deal or that's not going to be an issue." But the reality is, whatever you do repeatedly over and over and over again becomes habit. It becomes muscle memory. And that's why we decided to talk about this topic today. Muscle memory mistakes or MMM eight inadvertent training blunders and we hope that that you won't do them. And we also hope that if you notice anything else you're doing that doesn't translate well into a real fight, that you stop doing it because we should be training like we fight. Jacob, any last thoughts on the topic? No, I think I think that's good. And I'd love to hear if
1: anyone is listening to this, if you have ideas that have come to mind of other MMMs that you have seen, have observed or have caught yourself doing, you send those to us.
0: Oh, absolutely! That's a uh, that's always good stuff to have, and it's also very good. And we love getting feedback from you, our listeners, our our loyal listeners. We we really do appreciate it, uh, for supporting us in this podcast. And that is absolutely true. Once again, a reminder: as I mentioned earlier in the episode. That If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, anything you'd like to share with us, get it to us by sending us an email at podcast at concealedcarry.com. We would really love to hear from you as we have already heard from many of you as uh, since we launched that, that spe- specific email address uh, earlier this year. Actually, I guess last year now because we are into 2018. I hope everyone's uh, new year is going well for you, by the way. And also, just another thought, uh, as I listen to this episode again, you know, it's funny because when you record things and it's been a year or a year and a half or even now almost two years ago when we launched the podcast, I go back and listen to things occasionally and I go, wow, like I, I can't believe I said that or, or you know, my, my opinions have changed about some things, that's for sure. Uh, now... Today's episode with the uh, muscle memory mistakes, we mentioned eight specific examples of ones that uh, we thought were, were relevant at the time, and I definitely would like to add probably a few more things uh, that might be relevant to our listeners, and so maybe we'll do a refresh of this episode now that this one has been uh, brought back and and, and freshen, re- freshened up for you. Uh, hopefully, you've listened to it again and enjoyed it, and we'll try to bring some more uh, fresh content around this idea of muscle memory mistakes to you in the uh, near future. So I hope that you uh, enjoyed that as well. Uh, Once again, uh, a reminder of our uh, today's episode sponsor, Guardian Nation. Please check it out, guardiannation.com. Supporting our sponsors means... Us being able to continue to offer the concealed carry podcast. Uh, this is a an endeavor that requires quite a bit of work and energy and effort each week, as I'm sure you understand. Uh, that you know, it, it, and this has been a, a labor of love. As we are now almost 200 episodes in. Speaking of which, I think we may need to try to do something special for episode number 200. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll look forward to uh, connecting with you next week. We'll have news episode a uh, news episode for you at the beginning of the week we'll also have a usual midweek episode where we cover a special topic about something concealed carry firearms shooting or whatever related so we'll look forward to getting to that so with that i am going to sign off and let you all go have a great weekend and once again a reminder to train right train often and train safe so you can fight hard fight fast and fight true take care